Good morning. From the newsroom of the Financial Times, today is Monday, March 4th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Today, the U.S. discusses emergency aid for Venezuela if Nicolas Maduro's regime falls. Huawei Chief Financial Officer Meng Wanzhou sues Canadian border officers over her arrest. And the head of the U.S. oil refinery trade group attacks the idea of a carbon tax. Then the FT's Mayhul Srivastava explains the accusations of bribery against Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and what effect his possible indictment might have on Israel's upcoming election. I'm Eric Krepke, and here's the news you need to start your day. The U.S. is discussing emergency aid for Venezuela if Nicolas Maduro's regime falls. Officials in President Donald Trump's administration have been quietly planning for the chaotic situation that would probably follow any regime change. Senior officials portray regime change in Venezuela as a top foreign policy priority. The U.S. is still implementing tough oil sanctions against Venezuela, which are designed to starve the Maduro government of foreign revenue. Among the key questions is what aid the Trump administration will offer to sustain a new government, with opposition leader Juan Guaido at the head. People familiar with the situation say emergency aid worth billions of dollars might be needed from the international community in the early months. That aid would be necessary to staunch a humanitarian crisis that has already led to 3.5 million refugees fleeing Venezuela. Mismanagement and corruption have caused Venezuela's economy to reduce by half its size in five years. U.S. energy sanctions are also contributing to that decline. Economists estimate those sanctions could cut oil exports in half this year to $14 billion. Huawei's chief financial officer, Meng Wanzhou, was arrested in December and is still being watched by Canadian authorities. She's facing an extradition request from the U.S., Now, a lawsuit filed in the Supreme Court of British Columbia alleges that Miss Meng was illegally held and interrogated by Canadian officers for three hours before being formally arrested. The lawsuit alleges that Canadian officers held her on the pretext of making a routine border and immigration inspection. That allowed them to interrogate her and to search her luggage and electronic devices without affording her the rights to a lawyer and other protections that come into play when someone is formally arrested. The lawsuit is lodged against three border officials and a Royal Canadian Mounted Police officer involved in the detention, as well as Canada's Attorney General. The suit seeks a declaration that her rights were infringed, along with unspecified damages. Miss Meng was released on bail in December on condition she stays at one of the homes her husband owns in Vancouver and remains under constant surveillance. On Friday, Canada formally agreed to let the U.S. extradition request go forward. The U.S. Department of Justice seeks to charge Ms. Meng over fraud allegations related to sanctions against Iran. The first hearing in the extradition case is due in a Vancouver court on Wednesday. And the head of the U.S. oil refinery trade group has attacked proposals to tax greenhouse gas emissions. Chet Thompson of American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers said a carbon tax would be bad public policy that raised prices at the pump. A group of large companies, including several oil producers, has embraced a carbon tax as an efficient way to drive down emissions heating the planet. They were joined this year by economists, including 27 Nobel laureates and four former chairs of the Federal Reserve. The trade group's stance is at odds with some of its member companies, including BP, ExxonMobil, and Royal Dutch Shell. 
Mr. Thompson said his association accepts that humans have contributed to climate change. He said that coastal refineries have taken steps to guard against higher seas and storms, which are expected to worsen with global warming. AFPM also supports a proposal to raise octane levels in petrol, which Mr. Thompson said could reduce carbon emissions. Senior Vice President of the Climate Leadership Council Greg Bertelson said that a carbon fee would be the most efficient and effective type of climate policy. And here's a closer look at one of today's big stories. Last week, Israel's attorney general said that he intended to indict Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for corruption. Mr. Netanyahu is accused of doing regulatory favors for media companies in exchange for better coverage, as well as charges of fraud and breach of trust. He denies these claims. The threat of the charges comes just weeks before Israel's next election, when Mr. Netanyahu will seek a fifth term as prime minister. The FT's Mehul Srivastava explains how Mr. Netanyahu will address these accusations, beginning with a speech he made late last week. So this speech on Thursday, defending himself against the accusations unveiled by the Attorney General, was classic Netanyahu. He started off by thanking President Trump for some kind words he'd said about Netanyahu earlier that day, saying he was a smart and strong leader. He praised the strong leadership, the wise one, and the very strong one in which I lead the state of Israel. And then he reminded people he'd just had a meeting with Putin. The signal being, I am a global leader, and I'm being, I am the one out there defending the defense of Israel for you guys. And then he moved on very quickly into this long story of victimhood. A witch hunt whose role is one and one only, to cause the politically on the right party to fall and the left party of guns to go up. And it ended, of course, with him complaining about the treatment that's been given to his wife and to his son by the, by the tabloids here. They are figuratively causing this to spill the blood of my family. How are Mr. Netanyahu's allies responding to all of this? In the classic pragmatic approach that Israeli parties have towards politics, their goal is to make sure that the next government here is a right-wing government. Right now, even though Mr. Netanyahu is suffering, there's a proliferation of right-wing parties. They still believe that they can cobble together a right-wing coalition. It may not be very stable, but they can't stomach the idea of losing to a left-wing or centrist government after 10 years of being in power. So they're standing by him. But I think it's getting increasingly difficult for them to continue doing so, given the wealth of evidence against him and the complexity of legal problems that he faces. So there's a question of how they'll react after the elections when he will feel like more of a liability than he does right now. And what are his electoral prospects at this point? Because this country is so uh, divided along very, very deeply ingrained political lines, you find that actually his electoral prospects are still holding strong. This is despite a brand new centrist alliance between a center secular middle class party called Yeshatid and this uh, fellow called Benny Gantz, a retired general, the chief of the armed forces, he is now entering, entering politics and a shot to the top of the polls, or very close to the top. So Mr. Netanyahu faces a challenge both from losing right-wing voters over the possibility of him being indicted and being disgraced or perhaps being convicted, and people stealing votes from him towards the center with this new centrist alliance called the Blue and White Party. So it's turning into the most interesting election we've seen in a long time. But Mr. Netanyahu has survived a lot in his time as prime minister. Many are expecting him to still survive this. Why is that? 
Well, the thing that separates uh, Mr. Netanyahu, and this is a man who has towered over Israeli politics since the early 1990s when he entered in an opposition as a right-wing leader, is that the entire country calls him Bibi. They call him by his nickname. This guy has been around since like the late 80s, early 90s as a major national and an international figure. And in that period, he has survived incredible scandals. There was a sex tape scandal in the early 90s. There were corruption allegations at some point. His time in the private sector wasn't very eventful. His return to politics was criticized as being opportunistic. And there were all these military campaigns. He always managed to survive. The, 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 the perception in Israel is always of him as a leader above a whole bunch of smaller adversaries. And while this indictment has cut him down to size a bit because he now has to defend himself both legally and politically, he still is the most popular leader this country has seen since the country was founded by Ben-Gurion. What are the next steps for Mr. Netanyahu? Um, So Mr. Netanyahu so far has been served with an intention by the Attorney General to indict him. The Attorney General now gives the Prime Minister a certain amount of time, could be 30 days, could be as long as a few months, to come to a hearing and present his defense saying why he should not be indicted. The problem is that that procedure will take place after the elections have taken place on April 9th. So you may see a scenario where the prime minister wins and manages to form a coalition and then gets indicted. And the procedure then, the legal procedure, just becomes a legal overhang over the entire Israeli democratic system because he could be in office while being prosecuted. He has vowed not to resign, but it's highly unlikely that were he to be indicted, he would not resign. We don't really know. But the next four years are full of both political and legal perils. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. Today we'll be following China's defense budget for 2019. The figures are expected to fuel Western concerns over Beijing's growing military strength. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for all the latest business news.